Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Our text for our sermon is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brother Israelites. Listen to him. That is exactly what you asked from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. You said, Do not let me hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore, and do not let me see this great fire again, or I will die. Then the Lord said to me, They have done well by saying what they said. I will raise up a prophet for them from among their brothers like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them everything that I command him. Anyone who will not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. Any prophet who presumes to speak something in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks something in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. This is the word of our Lord. In our gospel lesson in Mark chapter 1 at verse 22, we are told they were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who has authority and not as the experts in the law. Lots of times you get people who claim that they have direct access and often exclusive access to God and that he's called them to be their prophet. And they teach all kinds of things. They'll say the Bible's wrong. It's become corrupted. Now, as a side note, Usually when people claim that the Bible evolved over time and there's all kinds of changes to it, they always find an earlier manuscript that proves them wrong. The people were actually very careful to preserve the word of God. Sometimes a guy miswrote a word as in misspelled it, but God's word is fairly accurate. It has not changed. So how is it that Jesus had an authority that the experts in the law didn't have? because they were misinterpreting the word of God. They had elevated their own opinions and traditions, not only on par to the word of God, but above it. Let me give you an example. When God established the civil laws for the nation of Israel, he had said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And in its context, what he was saying was, the punishment should fit the crime. It shouldn't be harsher than the crime or a slap on the wrist for a harsh crime. But by Jesus' time, it had become twisted to, it's okay to get revenge on par with how the person harmed you. So Jesus straightened that out on the Sermon on the Mount. So the authority that people saw with Jesus wasn't that he was giving his opinions or that he was actually teaching anything new to the Word of God. He actually was speaking the Word of God, using the Word of God to interpret the Word of God and what made that all the more amazing is because he is God. We'll get into that in a minute. Now, Moses had prophesied that the Lord would raise up a prophet like him. And the Hebrew says a prophet because he was, it looks at the quality of being a prophet, but the direct identity was not clear a thousand years earlier that this would be Jesus Christ, the son of Mary and adoptive son of Joseph. But at Jesus' time, when they heard him speak with authority, they said, is he the prophet? Meaning the one that they knew Moses said. 
See, Moses is the outstanding prophet because God gave us the Ten Commandments through Moses and everything. We're going to get into that today as we see that Jesus is the prophet of God. Now, in verse 16 of our text, God says, That is exactly what you ask from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. God had used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt until they reached Mount Sinai. And then God had led them in a cloud. This was a very dark cloud with fire. And when he spoke from Mount Sinai, what would become the Sinaitic Covenant, the world shook. The people were terrified. Oftentimes we make excuses and we think, how could God call this particular thing I'm doing wrong a sin or think that I'm a sinner? But it all changes when you suddenly stand before a holy God. Ask Isaiah who cried out before the throne of God, woe unto me, I'm ruined for I am an unclean man. When angels appear to people, the first thing that they usually say is don't be terrified. Angels are also holy and it terrifies people to have them. So the people were terrified when God spoke from Mount Sinai and the world shook and they could see his power. Our text continues, you said, do not let me hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore and do not let me see this great fire again or I will die. Then the Lord said to me, they've done well by saying well. It was too terrifying for the people. They said, Moses, you'll go, you talk to God. We'll stay back at a safe distance. We call that a mediator or an intercessor. Moses would talk to God for the people and he would come back and talk to the people for God so they wouldn't hear that terrible but holy voice. Now, one of the things that we're told about this coming prophet who, like Moses, would be an intermediate is... The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brother Israelites. And in verse 18, we're told, I will raise up a prophet for them from among their brothers like you. Moses was an Israelite, a descendant from the tribe of Levi. Moses was a human being who better to represent you than a human being. And so the coming Messiah would not only be a human being, he would be a descendant of Abraham, but he would also be specifically a descendant of Jacob, that's Israel. In Jesus's case, he's from the tribe of Judah through his ancestor, David. So Jesus is a true man who has taken on human flesh to talk to God for human beings to be the go-between as Moses was. But he's not just a man, is he? In fact, if we look at John chapter 1, verse 1, it begins by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It continues to tell us that through him all things were made, and apart from him nothing uh, was made that has been made. When we get to John chapter 1, verse 14, it makes it very clear that this word who is God, who has become man, is Jesus Christ. That's important for us. See, when God spoke the words that began creation, that was Jesus speaking. He is the spokesman for the triune God. So, he is true God who became true man. Moses was not true God. Moses was a man whom God graced to be in his presence. Now, Jesus veils his deity behind his human flesh. So when we hear his word, we're hearing the glory of God veiled through the vocal cords of a human being. For as it would be the pre-incarnate Christ told Moses, 
No one can see the fullness of my glory and live. So we're told in the second half of verse 16, do not let me hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore. But the spokesman for the Trinity comes and he speaks to us. And he makes sure that the apostles who hear that were inspired by his Holy Spirit to write it down. And in the second half of verse 18, we're told, and I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them everything that I commanded him. There's no better way to have the word of God in your mouth than to literally be the word of God. But we're also told he will speak to them everything that I commanded him. Moses botched it. In fact, when God called Moses, Moses said, can't you send someone else? I don't speak so pretty. God says, get going. But Jesus, Jesus is the word of God. Moses, one time when the people were grumbling about water and God told him specifically at that time to give them grace, the, the, the just free forgiveness and the, and, and the undeserved kindness of God. But Moses himself was frustrated because they were rebelling against him and Aaron as well. And he spoke the law. He condemned them. He pointed out their guilt. So Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because one time he did not speak the word of God as God had commanded him. But Jesus is true God. It's incapable, impossible for him to not speak the word of God because he is the word of God. Now, when you appear in a court case, and it has happened a lot, they say, if uh, you represent yourself in court, you have a fool for an attorney. It has happened that people not knowing their right to an attorney when, for example, well-meaning police officers uh, question them, they turn around trying to prove their innocence and say something where they end up being convicted of a crime because they don't know the way the, the language of the court works. But see, Jesus is your attorney. True God who became true man. He knows how to talk for you. In fact, he knows that because being a human being, have you ever worried about things? You now, Jesus never sinfully worried, but he knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to see those you love suffer that awful enemy that is dead. Jesus doesn't just sympathize with you. Jesus, because he's true God and he has put the Holy Spirit in your heart, is connected to you in a way that defies human understanding. When he feels your pain, he's not just sympathizing with you, he literally feels your pain. And as true God, he would not suffer that unless he had something in mind, something good for you and your neighbor. So. Jesus being true God and true man makes him the perfect mediator between God and man. When you die, or if judgment day comes first, whichever comes first for you, your attorney is Jesus. But your judge is also Jesus, true God and true man. How do you think the court case is going to go for you? In case you've missed it, let me tell you. He's going to stand up and say, I died for that person. I suffered the punishment. And as judge, he's going to say, innocent. In the meantime, as your intercessor, he is the one who rules over creation for you. So Jesus is the prophet of God, the mediator between God and man, because he is the God man, because he is the word of God. Now, Moses mediated what we call the Sinaitic Covenant. Sometimes we call it the Old Covenant, but that's confusing because the covenant of salvation actually came when Adam and Eve fell into sin and God promised them the Savior in Genesis 3 verse 15. See, 
God led the people to Mount Sinai. And they didn't want to hear his horrendous voice because God is all-powerful. I shouldn't say horrendous. It was just fearful for them. It was horrendous for them. Uh, and God is holy. So Moses speaks to them. And God made a covenant with them that basically boiled down to, you do your end of the deal, so the two-sided covenant, and I'll, then I'll do my end of the deal. The people were to worship God to a man perfectly following the civil, ceremonial, and moral laws God had, would give to the nation of Israel. And they agreed to this. And in return, God would rule over all creation and protect them, and they would shine out with the glory of the coming Savior so all the world would know here's where the Savior is to be found. But if they broke the covenant, God had already promised Abraham the Savior was descendant, so then if they broke the covenant, they would be ruled over by another nation. They would no longer be sovereign. And that's exactly what happened. The Romans were ruling when Christ was born. So Moses gives them a two-sided covenant where if you break the deal, then it's off. And that two-sided covenant involved civil laws. These laws were how they were to govern the nation of Israel. And I want to say as a side note, we can get confused and think if we make those same exact laws in America today, then God will give us the blessings he promised Israel. But the Savior has come. God's never made that covenant with us. However, you can also say there is a principle behind those laws that we would be foolish to ignore. For example, the punishment should fit the crime. Or one of the ones that, and I, I love the country I, I live in and the freedom of speech and religion it gives me. But you know, if somebody steals your house from you or your car from you and they destroy it, they may serve time in prison, but if you don't have insurance, you're in trouble. God's Old Testament laws had the idea of restitution. People didn't go to prison for stealing. They paid back four times what they stole. So there was a punishment for the crime and they took care of your being inconvenienced. So there would be a way in which in America today we would be wise to listen to some of the principles behind it. Now, the other was the ceremonial laws. These were the laws that the nation were to follow to worship. And this involved the temple and the sacrifices and everything. The civil laws were meant to keep the country upright and protect its citizens until the Savior was born. The ceremonial laws literally pointed to the coming Savior who would purify them, who would make them clean. And then there was the moral law. That's summarized by the Ten Commandments, and that showed the people how they would shine with the holiness of God. Christ, the Savior, would actually keep the moral law for us. Now, as I've already mentioned, every generation broke this covenant. Sadly, the people had hardly made the covenant. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments from the Lord. He's gone 40 days too long, and they make a golden calf and start worshiping it. Talk about breaking the covenant. That was a two-sided covenant. They didn't keep their end of the deal. Moses mediated that covenant. He talked to the people for God and to God for the people. They said, okay, it's a deal. We like this. Jesus mediates the gospel covenant, which is the oldest covenant, which we often call the new covenant. Which, and if you want to know what the gospel covenant is, you need look no further than the summary of all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God says, here's the deal. I will make you clean with my blood. 
I will be perfectly holy for you because you are incapable of being perfectly holy. That's the thing we miss. We think if we do extra good things, then we can become, then we can become holy. God says, no. If you have one spot of unholiness, then you're unholy. It's a pass-fail thing. So Jesus is holy for us, and he demands one thing. He demands that we believe it. Now, we Christians can get confused and we'll say, oh, then I've got to keep my end of the covenant and I've got to make a decision for Christ and bring myself to believe. But before John 3.16 and John chapter 3, during that conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus tells us how we get the faith. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, gives birth to Spirit. So you hear the good news that God has taken on human flesh to do the work of salvation for you. And that means that the whole world is only held accountable for one sin. That's unbelief. If you do not believe, then you reject the very thing that saves you. So then God works through that message that he has saved you, that he only holds you accountable to one sin, and he works through that message and the Holy Spirit enters your heart to create the faith. So God actually does all the work. Now there's one thing you can do in that covenant. You can reject it. And you really have to put up a fight to reject it once God has put that faith in your heart. You really have to fight hard. In the meantime, that Holy Spirit who's given birth to that new person draws you constantly to the Word to nourish that new man, just as your body draws you to eat supper and put food into your belly to nourish it. And so, as John 3.16 says, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, we are warned in verse 19, anyone who will not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will hold him to account. I'll hold him accountable. Because you're saying, if you don't listen to Jesus, I don't want the salvation you've won for you. And that turns around and puts salvation in your hands. And you and I think unholy thoughts by the minute. We're impure. So we forfeit our salvation. Now verse 20 gives a strong warning because there's been lots of people who've claimed to be prophets from God, who they have new revelations and all that stuff. Verse 20 says, any prophet who presumes to speak something in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks something in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. God says, I will hold them accountable. If they lead people astray, God's name tells us everything God does for us. The name Jesus means Savior, for example. So if they claim to speak in what God does and they contradict the word of God, don't listen to them. There's really two tests for the prophet that the Bible gives. The first is, are they in accord with the word of God? The second is, and Moses said this in Deuteronomy as well, if they tell you something and it doesn't come true, then they're a false prophet. Now, a prophet speaks the will of God. It can be God's will in the past as a reminder. It can be God's will in the present. It can be God's will in the future. And it may be contingent. For example, if you repent, then I won't bring this calamity upon you. God's will is for you to be saved. So if somebody is teaching falsely and claiming to be God's prophet, they're messing with your salvation. How wonderful it is for us that Jesus is the mediator who brought the new covenant where he does all the work, he even gives you the faith. And so we see today Jesus is the prophet of God. He's a mediator between God and man because he is God who became man. And he mediates the new covenant, which is your salvation. He does all the work. It's one-sided. And we thank the Lord for that. Amen.
Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the blood, by his blood, and made us a kingdom and priest to God his Father, to him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.